0: I
1: Lemony cocktail followed by oyster liqueurs. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday 24th of March 2019. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial, or you can have a listen from our website at www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, where you can stream our broadcast and you will also find a number of previously aired episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. You can also find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Out of the Blue Radio. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, And 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. My name's Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook. And today's weather... uh, fantastic day out in Melbourne today, uh, 27 degrees is the forecast top, fine and sunny but do bear in mind that there is some uh, storm activity, uh, the potential for storm activity forecast for later on this evening so if you are out and about on our uh, beautiful waterways in the state of Victoria, as always, please be very, very careful. Today I'm joined in the studio by Associate Professor, Associate Professor, I'll try that again, Mike Weston of Deakin University who is a decorated scientist and who has worked extensively in the crucial realm of conservation biology. Mike, how are you
2: today? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Andrew.
1: No worries at all. And actually, it's a, it's a case of welcome back because I believe you've done out of the blue previously.
2: I have. It was a very, very long time ago. I think it was roughly 25 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. its yeah. right
1: back when we were uh, starting up, I believe. That's, that's, uh, that's right. Fantastic. All right. So today we'll be discussing Mike's background and experiences in conservation biology. Uh, Mike's got a particular interest in birds. Um, so when we come back after this brief announcement, Mike will be discussing a Range of fascinating topics relating to birds that live in and around our aquatic environment.
2: Well, if you listen to three oh, seal, clap your hands. If you listen to three oh, seal, clap your hands. If you listen to three seal, I where you are. If you listen to three oh, seal, clap your hands. If you listen to three oh, seal, clap your hands. If you listen to three oh, seal, clap your hands. Well check out the happening vibe They're gonna ring up and subscribe If you listen to three say Slap your ears What? Who the hell's that? Slap your ears What you talking about? I ain't no elephant Get out of here
1: You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial, and this is Out of the Blue. Okay, so uh, Mike Weston, can you give us a bit of an, uh, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, a bit of a snapshot on, uh, I guess, your, your life story?
2: Yeah, look, no, absolutely. And I love that you've used the phrase life story instead of career because I feel like my life story is a sort of series of happy accidents rather than <laughs> rather than a particular plan. But, yeah, look, I, I, uh, I've got a really strong interest in both psychology and zoology Uh, so I'm really interested in people but I'm really interested in the way they interact with wildlife so that's sort of driven everything that I've done and I was lucky enough to work for a not-for-profit conservation organisation which is now called BirdLife Australia worked there for 17 years and I learned so much about the way the world works I now uh, for the last 11 years have been working at Deakin Uni and I guess um, taught myself how to teach, which has been a real challenge. Yes. A, and, and I went to uni 20 years before I was teaching at uni, so things had changed a lot. And uh, look, very passionate about... Conservation uh, become my focus has become birds and understanding how we can better conserve birds, and also how we can make sure that people and birds get along in our natural environments. Yeah,
1: right. Was that that's a very interesting mix, by the way, though, and and a complementary one, I guess, psychology and zoology. Yep. That's, yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh... They actually go together like uh, sort of hand and glove, and is a type of. Um, uh, uh, ecology called behavioral ecology, which is the behaviour of wildlife. So that's sort of a natural fit for me.
1: Absolutely, no, very good. Yeah. Uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, I should uh, I should mention that I actually met Mike um, when he gave a terrific presentation. It was back on Sun- uh, Saturday, the second of February this year, as part of the Hobsons Bay Wetland Centre, which is a uh, a relatively new initiative. Now I'm hoping to get Marilyn Oliff and at least one other person from the uh, from the Hobsons Bay Wetland Centre coming in in the next uh, few months if I can uh, come into Out of the Blue and talk about what that's about, but that's a very exciting development. Mike, can you give us a bit of an uh, an update on what that is?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the actual talk was World Wetlands Day, and one of the great things about wetlands, of course, is uh, because we have all these migratory animals, they actually... Connect wetlands together, so right across the globe. So we've got um, we've got wetlands uh, in the western side of uh, Port Phillip Bay, or in fact anywhere in Victoria or Australia that are connected through animals to wetlands right throughout Southeast Asia and China. And so what we're what we're doing with the Wetland Centre, what we're hoping is to increase the sort of awareness and appreciation of how important the wetlands are in that part of the world, and any part of the world, and have a sort of a community hub where we can get people that want to actually engage with nature get out into nature and that benefits them and it benefits nature, so the wetland centre we're looking as, for is as a kind of hub. And Andrew, I know you were you're at the talk, and it was was it 40, 40 degrees that day? It was something yeah, like it that. <laughs> and we need a wetland centre because we <laughs> need a bit of shade when we're when we're out there talking about wetlands. Absolutely, <laughs>
1: that's a really uh, amazing part of the world, isn't it? Along that, uh, for the, for those that aren't familiar with it, um, around the Altona sort of yep. foreshore area and where they've got all the um, the the wetland sort of precinct almost, isn't it? It, and- it
2: absolutely is, and and that's sort of the northern northern extent of a really important wetland that runs right down the western side of Port Phillip Bay and um, what a lot of people may not know for example is that there's migratory shorebirds that actually live on those wetlands and they uh, actually breed in Siberia and Alaska so they, they essentially chase the summer around the globe so when it's summer in the northern hemisphere they go to the northern right to the northern part of the northern hemisphere to breed then they come down this sort of series of wetlands and coastlines called a flyway. They come to places like the western side of Port Phillip Bay and they spend something like six to seven months of every year with us. So it's we're like their their sort of summer vacation to avoid the northern winter. Uh, but these wetlands are connected right through the globe, right through Asia and right up to places like Alaska and Siberia. That's incredible.
1: Mm. Now that's um we actually were lucky enough to have uh Kate Goring Smith um come into out of the blue back on the twenty seventh yes. of January. Yes and- I,
2: I I worked with Kate at that not-for-profit uh, conservation organisation, Birdlife Australia, some yeah. twenty years ago. So yes. you're, you're blessed to have Kate in.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, she was uh, she was terrific, and it was very interesting to get her take on the um, on the the shorebirds, but also her uh, her art practice was uh, very yeah. interesting. I was lucky enough to go to her exhibition, absolutely, um, in uh, in uh, the, the the Wyndham Cultural Centre not too uh, not too long ago. Great. Um, and she was talking about yeah the uh, so it's it's called the East Asian Australasian Flyway.
2: That's it. Yeah. Yep.
1: and that's that networked uh, basically this network system of wetlands right throughout so when you've got a situation like that yep. um, it, it doesn't take too much of a, a leap of the imagination to suggest that if some of those wetlands start changing if, if you get uh, um, development going on in those areas and those wetlands start to become either uh, you know deteriorated or they're, yep. they're suddenly made non-existent and yeah. <laughs> made a- redundant Absolutely. what sort of effect can that have on the, uh, the birds?
2: Well catastrophic potentially and, and, and one of the things about the way these birds migrate is they migrate, they, they they need they can't swim so they migrate over bits of ocean or sea and they need places to land where there's lots of food to refuel so it really is like stepping stones and so when uh, one of those sites uh, disappears at worst or is, is radically converted to something that's not so suitable then if you're a shorebird that sort of arrives there with your fuel tank empty and a desperate need to feed to continue your migration so that you can breed that year then you you're in real trouble and we've had we had some one of the one of the processes of many processes that affects those is a process called reclamation so actually reclaiming land from the sea And it's very common throughout Southeast Asia, right up into Northern Asia, particularly um, the Yellow Sea, where that practice is really cultural. dates back to the 1200s. But we're seeing industrial scale reclamation. I mean, we're seeing reclamation that you can easily see uh, from the moon. Um, And we're seeing sort of um, walls being built from mainlands out to island chains to create a vast area of agricultural land uh, rather than mud uh, sea flat. And so these birds are denied that. One species great knot, we did a lot of counts there and it looks like there's been a very dramatic Global population reduction just because of a single reclamation.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, uh, just with that single reclamation, what sort of, do you know what sort of area off the top of your head we're talking about there?
2: What I'm I'm of- trying to think off the top of my head. It is it is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hectares. It oh, is it is vast. Um, I don't have the exact figure off the top of my head. It's called the Sayang reclamation. It um it, two it it essentially two rivers came out into the Yellow Sea. And these walls essentially captured the freshwater, so it's actually got a big lake in it as well, which is yeah, ironic, right. um, uh, and uh, used for rice production and various other things. But it is absolutely vast, and um, these people who used to live on islands, quite isolated now, can just drive along this road to the mainland to do their shopping or whatever. But right, um, yeah, right. it's extraordinary extraordinary, and radical Change so great knots have probably suffered a 40 to 50 percent decline because of that single reclamation. They relied on that particular site as one of those stepping stones. Gee. Um, yeah, and there is that's really, really in as much an Australian species as a Korean species or a, or a Siberian species,
1: yes, yeah. So that that really, um, I guess there's that uh, that strong emphasis potentially on international cooperation when, when absolutely start talking because, of course, these birds don't respect borders or anything, no? they've got to go where they've got to go.
2: That, that's exactly right, and that's and it's and it also. So, and the flip side of that is the opportunity about connecting human populations together in the same way, to, to, because we all share a natural heritage that we all need to work together to protect. Yep. But you're quite right; it it links us, and so it links, you know, for the going back to the western side of Port Phillip Bay and 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 the wonderful and diverse human populations that live in that area. And I think both you and I live in Point Cook, so it turns out yes, we discovered this yeah, morning. Yeah, that's um, it. Uh, But uh, these birds are also essentially multicultural; they're coming from you know all through the East Asian Australasian fly. So it's it's a real linkage that we've got there.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. So so what was it, Mike, that um, uh, you, you sort of mentioned before that your life had been a, a basically a system of happy accidents? Yes. <laughs> uh, how, how was it? What was it that got you into birds in the first place?
2: Well, that's a really good question. Look, I, I, I didn't come to it organically. I, I travelled around Australia. You know, gap years are such a such a great thing for those people who have the the um, ability to to undertake a gap year. Look, I travelled around Australia for the year. And when you've got a whole year and you're experiencing, you know, the, the country that you were born in and you're, you're trying to learn about it, and then I just happened to start noticing birds, started to identify them. And then unfortunately you get hooked and, and you can't stop. Um, so, and, and as I, as I grew sort of scientifically and got a naturally curious mind, start asking that kind of question, why, why does that happen? Why do you want to get that species there? Why does that species behave in that manner? What is that species telling me about the environment that I'm actually standing in? Um, then as I started to understand the complexity and amazing way that these animals live their lives, you know, it just reinforced everything. And I can tell you many stories about how complex these animals are and how sophisticated they are. Yep. Um, and even potentially, um, I mean, some of my colleagues would criticise me for this, even sometimes how human-like they are. Um, uh, yeah, it's amazing
1: there you go That's, uh, that is that um, is. I it's something that I've kind of uh, uh, just when we were chatting before off air Mike I probably mm. just offended you a little bit when I said uh, uh, when no. I was wondering about uh, whether I'm starting to mallow or getting me old age and yeah, starting no. to take more interest It's in okay. Birds. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, one, of the, one of the first things I did a little while ago when I thought geez these these birds are pretty incredible animals so I went out and I got that book uh, the CSIRO's yes. latest book on birds which Fantastic. retails for about 50 odd bucks yep. I think it is and it's a, it's a cracking book like, absolutely it's really amazing and yep. one of the ones that I've um, I, I've developed a bit of an interest in over the years um, because of all the snorkeling that I do down at uh, Point Cook Marine Sanctuary right. um, yep. walking out with the gear it seems the birds and there'll often be three or four of, or generally two or three of them at the one time they'll actually come out and uh, they seem yep. to be very inquisitive by nature and yes. they'll actually circle above my head and I'll look up and first sign I'll get is that awesome bird of prey yes. shadow across the, <laughs> and,
2: and it's amazing I mean black kites are just incredible incredible creatures and one of the things that um, is also interesting about birds is how they change through time and black kites when i so i've been in in the west for probably 25 30 years black kites were almost absent when I moved into that area and they have become far more common. And a lot of people will recognise that pigeon with the big spike on its head, crested pigeon. Oh, yes. Now, and 20 years ago, they weren't in Melbourne, okay, and they weren't in Brisbane, they weren't in Sydney, and it's a similar story with the black kite. And they are now invading these coastal areas. It's been suggested climate change is the driver of this, but it hasn't been proven. Wow. And so you've got this... this Great kind of um, change in our bird community that might be telling us about something going on. But black kites just fantastic, fantastic flies, real characters. They're one of the three fire stick species that'll pick up a burning stick and move it and drop it to create a new fire to find prey. Fair yeah, I don't think, I, I have never heard of them doing it at Point Cook because <laughs> 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 um, they're much more common in the north of the country. But um, uh-huh. yeah, they're one of those species that undertakes that amazing um, behaviour to flush out prey. Which, yeah. You know, it's pretty clever.
1: Oh, it's one of those things that I can sort of sit there and look at for hours on end because you you, you see them going along with those pretty, uh, you know, energetic wing beats, yep. but then all of a sudden, of course, they just seem to glide and catch the... Yep. I guess they're catching the thermal updrafts. Absolutely,
2: that's correct. And I and always... The, I love their tail, the twists and turns on their tail yeah. like an <laughs> autopilot to keep, <laughs> them, keep them stable. Uh, and you, you're exactly right. And the precision with which they can, you know, grab that cricket or mouse or whatever it is that they come down on. Yeah. and um, yeah they're extraordinary animals and, oh. and 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 you can, Sit there and watch them. You don't even know, need to know what species they are. You can just sit there and watch how they behave, and you know it's it's you can give you an hours of fun, hours of entertainment just Absol- watching that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That's one thing that's really really stood out, and I want to try and get the uh, pinch the girlfriend's camera go down and take some shots of them absolutely up close because they're just yeah. uh, even some of the dodgy ones that I've got with the little Canon yeah. camera is uh, you can see them actually looking at the camera. Yes, they just seem to be that inquisitive. Yeah, good luck. People. They move pretty quickly. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that
1: that's it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we, might, uh, we might quickly kick to a song. Um, this is Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel.
0: 3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows.
2: Kamu you. dah dengar 3CR Community Radio? Please subscribe now.
0: Destemiauna 3CR Community Radio araja al istrakelan.
1: Ninggal ungalin of 3CR Estan
2: escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora.
0: radio i Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR.
1: You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, and we've got Mike Weston in the studio. So, um, Mike, um, as far as uh, some of the, I guess, some of the conflicting uh, uses of, um, of various habitats, you've been touching on that before with your yep. conservation biology background. Um, just for the benefit of our uh, listeners, I was at the Avalon Air Show uh, a few yes. weeks back, and there was that, uh, we were watching a, a United States Air Force C-17 Globemaster 3, a bit of a mouthful, but it was taking off down the runway. and um, all of a sudden there was this great tongue of flame that shot out of one of the uh, right-hand side uh, engines. Yeah. And my mate, uh, Cameron Makepeace, who's actually been on um, on Out of the Blue before, um, he uh, said to me, he picked it straight away, being a pilot himself, he actually said, oh, uh, that might have been a bird strike. And he yep. was absolutely spot on. So for, the, for those of our, um, our, our listeners that are keen to check it out, some of you may find it a bit distressing footage, but if you punch in C-17 Bird Strike Avalon and see what comes up on YouTube, you'll see some amazing footage that someone managed to film of the bird getting sucked into the engine and unfortunately vaporised. I guess, and yeah, that's uh, right. probably did a hell of a lot of damage to the engine, so they aborted the takeoff and, uh, without incident and moved off the runway, and, and that was it. So pretty unfortunate, but is, is that sort of thing um, fairly common around airports these days with, with birds? Yeah.
2: Look, uh, sadly it is, and I think uh, bird strike is one of those uh, avi- one of the to- in the top aviation safety issues, actually, and if you go back a few decades, there had actually been, there's, there's definitely been aircraft crashes in Australia, of course, from bird strike, there's no question. Is an F-111 that hit a pelican, and I believe both pilots were killed. Oh, yeah! This is uh, yeah. decades ago, but and it has also happened uh, to some passenger planes decades and decades ago. But there's been a great revolution in engine engineering. And they're now, the engines are now uh, designed with bird strike in mind. Um, and there's all sorts of activities on the what's called the airside, that part of the airport where the aircraft operate. There's all sorts of activities to discourage problematic birds from being very near aircraft. Um, but for, for, for my sins, Andrew, I was the bird hazard um, uh, consultant at Melbourne Airport for a year. Oh, there you go. Back in 1993. And um, so I'm very familiar with the kinds of tools that can be used to reduce bird strike and also the issues that it causes. And, there's, you know, bird strikes happen not infrequently, but rarely are they that dramatic,
1: yeah right, right. Mm. I'm I'm guessing there was probably a bit of remedial work required on the engine yep. if it uh, just with the the flame and the loud bang that it made. But uh, a-
2: absolutely, it, yeah, and and that's it. That's incredibly expensive. And that, if that was a commercial airliner, of course, every second, every minute it's on the ground is worth a very large amount of money. And one of the one of the things about jet engines is that is that the actual suction at the front means that anything within probably 10 20 meters has little choice but to be sucked through the engine yeah now that includes terrestrial animals like rabbits hares and foxes right <laughs> so on on the takeoff roll when 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 the pilot is putting putting down lots of acceleration then you can suck things straight off the straight off the ground through those engines wow so uh, and birds that bird that vision you can see that bird trying to take evasive action and it when it, once it hit the suction it had no chance no
1: chance at all yeah yet. there you go
2: yeah well on a, on a happier note um, for those that are in the
1: uh, I guess particularly the west we were looking at it sort of from the western suburbs today of course we were just mentioning Point Cook before and a quick uh, shout out to Remember the Wild who put on a fantastic um, uh, day yesterday it was called Day by the Bay um, they'd had one earlier this year in Mornington and they had one at Point Cook Coastal Park yesterday and it was quite good to see that fantastic um, it was a really good uh, set up and they got an uh, number of people through the area which is always great to to see um but from uh from from your point of view mike where are some of the nice areas in the western suburbs to go and watch birds and yeah sort of thing?
2: well look there's there's plenty of them so if if you want a fairly sort of casual uh, experience and not going too far off track you can actually just go to the altona foreshore and walk along the altona foreshore and there's particularly at low tide you get really terrific birds and there's a species called the banded stilt that's been in for the last 10 days that, yeah. that breeds around um Breeds around the interior desert lakes like um, Lake Eyre, and they've just arrived en masse in the last 10 days, so you can go and look at those. If you want to get a bit more adventurous, you can walk go to places like Point Cook uh, Beach, so down through the coastal park where you go, yep. where you go snorkelling as I understand it. Um, and there's even a tower there called the um, Monument to Migration and Aspiration, uh, which you can go and have a look over some of the yes. Ramsar listed wetlands there. So um, Excellent. Plenty of opportunities. Okay. Western treatment complex. All those sorts of places.
1: Yeah, fantastic stuff. That's uh, that's really nice. We were discussing before too. Uh, Spectacle Lake used to be a bird hide, um, but that's all been. I was quite shocked. I only went there a few weeks ago and yep. had a look, and it was all demolished. Yes. Um, and you were saying you're explaining before how the hydrology of the area has totally yep. changed now.
2: That's right, and that's that's so that's associated with the construction of residences, um, some of which you and I, of course, live in. And uh, the when the road there, the Homestead Road, was sort of formalised, it was raised and turned into a proper bitumen road. It used to be a little dirt track. The hydrology changed such that it effectively created a dam in the catchment of spectacle ponds so it gets less water yeah. so it's been dry as you and I know for years Yep. Um, I can't remember when it was last wet Yeah. Um, yeah. and Many the years water now. that used to flow in there no longer flows there yep there yep. you go there you go yep.
1: alright well uh, thanks very much for coming into the studio
2: today Mike it's been a great pleasure thank you so much for having me
1: no worries at all and uh, yeah love to do it again sometime you've got uh, obviously vast knowledge on uh, shorebirds and all these sorts of areas of conservation biology so it was a really enlightening talk thank you very much great pleasure All right, stay tuned uh, for Out of the Pan with Sally and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.